So would you stand for the reading of God's word, verse 9 down through verse number 17. Let's begin together in verse 9, and then uh, we'll read responsibly, all right? Verse 9 says, So Hannah, together, ready? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. Just the odd verses together. Verse 11, And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Well, we're looking at this series, my walk with God, in particular, my prayer life. And uh, this week we're going to look at this title, The Power of a Praying Mother. The Power of a of a praying mother. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, help us. Uh, Lord, um, our schedule has been somewhat disjointed this morning with more activities into the service than normal. Uh, but God, you have something for each of us this morning in the service. And so help us, God, to hone in on the message. While it will uh, apply to mothers directly, Lord, all of us here can be challenged to be Christians who are more sincere in our prayer time, in our prayer life. And so, Lord, challenge us. Use this message in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I have a joke at the beginning of my sermon, but after Brother Tom's jokes, I'm a little nervous to tell mine. I don't know that I'm going to be able to compete with his. So, uh, a four-year-old and a six-year-old presented their mother with breakfast in bed with Dad's help. And um, along with breakfast in bed came a gift from the four- and six-year-old girls, a, a house plant. And these two girls had pulled together all of the pennies and dimes and quarters and nickels and dollar bills in their piggy banks to buy this gift for Mom. And uh, Mom was just so touched why, by the, um, uh, the, the house plant. And the older of them uh, said with a very sad face, she said, there was a bouquet that we wanted to give you there at the flower shop. It it was really pretty, but it was it was just too expensive. And and uh, her mom consoled her for a moment, and she said, "Well, that bouquet of flowers. The reason why we wanted to get it for you, it, it had a ribbon on it that said Rest in Peace.' And we thought it would be just perfect, since you're always asking for a little peace so you can get some rest." And today we're going to look at a story about a mom in the Bible who raised, and I mean an incredible son. 
Um, she was the one uh, responsible for birthing Israel's self-proclaimed greatest prophet, and this would exclude Jesus. Many of you, if not all of you here, already know the story of Hannah, or you got a good grasp of it uh, in our scripture reading a few moments ago. On this Mother's Day, let's take just a few minutes and let's look at the life of one of the most amazing moms in the entire Word of God. So let's look at three observations, three observations that we can draw from the life of Hannah and apply to our own lives this morning. Those of you visiting, on the back of your bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to take some notes along as we go here. Number one, notice the problem that crushed her, the problem that crushed Hannah. Look with me back at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and look with me at verse number the Bible says, when the time was that Elkanah offered, that he gave to Penina his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so, year by year, uh, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Now, they lived in a culture and a time where polygamy was acceptable. Men would have multiple wives, and uh, such was the case here where Elkanah was married to two women, a woman named Penina and a woman named Hannah. And God had opened up the womb of Penina, and Penina had had several children, but Hannah could not have uh, children. And so the Bible tells us that uh, Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved Penina, and uh, there was envy in the marriage, envy in this polygamous marriage, to a place where every time they took this journey uh, from where they lived into Jerusalem, they, uh, they, they would walk, they would take a horse, or, or however they would travel there. It was a long journey that each time they took this trip, uh, part of the way Elkanah, or rather Penina, would get back at Hannah because Hannah was the favorite, is she would point out how many children she had and how that Hannah did not have any kids. She would rib her, she would poke her, she would make fun of her, she would put her down, she would treat her like she was less of a woman because she didn't have any children and Obviously, Penina had many children. For one reason or another, God had chosen to bless Penina with an open womb and an abundance of children, but Hannah could not get pregnant. Within the heart of most every woman is the desire to be a mother. This craving is instinctive and is God-given. Now, when Hannah could not have a child, it caused her to skip meals and to weep, the Bible says there in 1 Samuel 1, in bitterness of her soul. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, continues an explanation of her sorrow. The Bible says, and she was in bitterness of soul, and look here, prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Hannah was absolutely crushed that uh, God had closed her womb. I have known many church-going, uh, God-fearing Couples that have sought to please the Lord with their relationship and their marriage. And they live by a set of high morals and, and, and godly attributes and values. But for some un, a reason unbeknownst to me, God chooses to keep them from having children. Day after day goes by while they wait and hope and wait and hope to find out that they're expecting. I've also... 
uh, seen many a teenage young lady walking through a public place like a, a mall wearing immodest clothing with their pregnant belly hanging out there and all kinds of obscenity spewing from their lips on one occasion uh, years ago, back when I lived in Maryland, I passed a young lady in a mall hallway, and uh, she was uh, clearly in her third trimester and uh, wearing a form-fitting shirt. And right there on the front of her shirt, it read these words. It read, knocked up, knocked up. And she's walking through the mall. Uh, she could not have been more than 16 years old. Within the confines of my limited finite brain, I cannot begin to understand why these scenarios occur daily. I'm left with this question. Why, God, do you allow an irresponsible teenager who became impregnated through an act of sin to bring a child into this world while the godly couple who are serving you can't seem to get pregnant? I'm left to wonder that. We should be reminded of what Isaiah 55 verse 9 says. And this, I believe, is the theme verse of Brother Sean Alexander's class this year, for this, this quarter. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Listen up this morning. Man cannot understand God. God is an infinite being. There is no limit to his age. There is no limit to his knowledge. There is no limit to his perfection. There is no limit to his wisdom. Mankind has been made by God to be finite. You with me this morning? You have an infinite God and you have a finite man. If you try to take uh, and understand an infinite God as a finite man, you're going to find that you can't do that. You cannot take an infinite God and understand Him within the brain of a finite human being. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As far as the heavens are than the earth, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. God does things that we cannot comprehend, we do not understand, that do not gel with human reasoning, but make no mistake about it, where there is a contradiction in our logic and God's decision making, God is in the right and we are not. Heaven is going to reveal a lot of things that cannot be explained or understood while we live on this earth wearing this sinful, earthly flesh. I just say to each of you this morning, maybe you're going through this trial or you're going through a trial in your life that is inexplicable and has caused you to question God and His love toward you. And I would just say to you, uh, be patient, be patient. Understand that God does not let anything happen to you that He does not have a greater and larger plan. Understand, picture Hannah with her husband and, and his husband's, uh, her husband's other wife. Imagine them walking toward Jerusalem for the, the celebration of the Passover, for that feast there. And there, uh, 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 let's see, Penina is giving Hannah a hard time and, and picking on her. And Hannah has tears running down her cheeks. She's a meek and quiet soul. And Penina is just ribbing and ribbing and picking and picking and stepping on her. Her spirit is totally crushed. Number one, we see the problem 
that crushed her. Number two, we see the prayer that changed her. The prayer that changed her. Go back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And look with me at verse number 10. The Bible says, And she was in bitterness of soul. And look here, if you don't have this phrase underlined in your Bible, and you mark in your Bible, let me encourage you to do that. The Bible says, And prayed unto the Lord. You want to know where the turning point in this whole story is? It's right here. She prayed unto the Lord. The bitterness of soul from the ribbing and jeering of of Penina and the lack of a child drove her to her knees in prayer. The Bible says in verse 10 that she wept sore. Look at verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. She said, Lord, if you'll give me a baby, I'll make sure he takes upon himself the Nazarite vow, and his total life is devoted to you and service of you alone. Now, although it is certain that Hannah had no clue of what God was doing, we have the advantage of seeing the entire story. All right, Hannah's living in the moment. She's living in the now. She can't have a baby. Her spirit is crushed. Um, She's getting picked on and jeered. And and her husband's trying to comfort her and doing a poor job at it. And, 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 And nothing is helping. And she sits down and her meal is served at the, at the feast of, 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 of the celebration. And she sits down with her plate. She pushes the food around her plate. She has no appetite. She's not hungry. She pushes away from the table. She leaves her husband and her husband's other wife and the kids behind. She finds her way into a a quiet, empty temple and she collapses to her knees in prayer and she begins to weep sore. She's in bitterness of soul. She's begging God to give her a child. Hannah's firstborn would come along as a result of this. Now, I just want to say here, make a make an obvious observation, I think will be applicable to everyone in the room this morning. Do any of you know Penina's children's names? And the answer is no, because they're not mentioned in the Bible. Does anyone know Hannah's child's name? What is Hannah's child's name? Samuel. Do you think that if God had not closed up Hannah's womb and drove her to a place of bitterness of soul that you would even know who Hannah's child was? Do you understand what's going on here? God closed off her womb and God brought her to a place of tenderness and full surrender to the Lord. And when she was fully surrendered to the Lord, God said, now you're ready. Now you're ready. I'm not here to say this morning that every couple that can't have a baby is because they're not surrendered to the Lord. I would never say that because each situation is different. But for Hannah, God said, I see potential in that young lady. Israel needs a great prophet. If I make her suffer a little bit in soul and spirit, if I cause uh, her anguish and pain and I get her to humble her heart and surrender her heart, that woman will give her child wholeheartedly to me. Lo and behold, Samuel was born and he became Israel's greatest prophet. Some other facts to consider. Hannah did not choose to give her firstborn in the service of the Lord until she was driven to her knees. Um, 
Uh, let's see here. God looked at Hannah and said, I see potential in you. I see potential in you. I'm going to have to run you through a very difficult trial to make sure you're ready uh, before I put Israel's next great leader in your womb. The burden of Hannah's sorrow uh, weighed heavy enough on her shoulders that it drove her to her knees. Some of you in here this morning, God's running you through the ringer. you got all kinds of problems in your life and uh, your anxiety levels are up. You can't take a deep breath. You, you don't sleep well. You toss in your turn. You're having all kinds of problems. What is God doing? You say, maybe what God's doing is He's turning up the pressure until you drop to your knees in prayer and you cave and you give up your pride and you say, Lord, I surrender all. Sometimes God runs you through a hardship because He's just trying to get you to pray. Because He knows there's no other way He's going to get you to actually spend any real time with Him. This was the case for Hannah. Now, you say, well, do you know what Hannah's prayer life what, like was? Pre- Hannah's prayer life was like prior? And the answer is, I do not. But I know this. It intensified as a result of this trial. It was made greater because of this trial. Now, Psalm 26, verse 2 says this. It says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Try my reins and my heart. Full transparency this morning. There have been seasons in my Christian life where I would not pray that prayer because I knew what was in my heart God didn't approve of. I didn't want Him trying the reins of my heart because I knew what He'd find that He'd make me get rid of and I wasn't ready to get rid of it. But you know what? Something happens as you grow in the Lord and your heart begins to be purified. You get to a place where you say, Lord, I'm doing my very best to live for You. Lord, I want every corner of my heart to please You. Lord, I'm going to drop to my knees. Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask You to make me pure. Make me holy. If that requires a little bit of trouble, if that requires a little bit of hardship, if that requires that my problems crush me a little bit, I'm going to pray so that You will change me. Remember to the degree of sorrow that Hannah was driven to her knees to that same degree of uh, the, the, the same degree Samuel her son experienced great success for God. Now, we need to pray uh, we, we need to breathe everything in prayer. And it is important uh, for a mother to pray for God to give her a baby. Uh, but once you have that child, you know that you should just keep on praying. You should keep on praying. Let me give you some stages of a child's life and kind of help you to know how to pray for that child. Um, pray for them when they are babies. You might be here today and you got babies. How do you pray for your child when they're a baby? Well, each time you hold that child in your arms and you rock him or her to sleep, pray for your child. Pray for your child. Pray for their development physically, socially, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, pray for their, their sinful wills to be broken at a young age and for them to be malleable and pliable to you as a mom and dad. Uh, pray that they will follow what's right and not be uh, stubborn and follow what's wrong. As you're holding that uh, child in your arms, pray for them to be saved at as young an age as possible. How about when your children reach grade school age? Well, each time that they get on the bus or walk into a school building, take a few minutes and pray for your child. I'm in the habit of doing this. When I drop my children off at school, uh, they watch them walk up the walkway. and, And while they're walking toward the school building, I begin to pray. Even if I'm pulling away, I'm praying as I pull away. What is it that I pray? I pray for them to love the Lord with all their heart. I pray for them to be kind and caring toward others especially the ones that aren't kind and caring toward them. 
I pray for them to develop problem-solving skills. I pray for them to develop conflict resolution skills. By the way, Mom and Dad, if you keep sticking your nose and every time your child has a problem and you try to fix it for them, they're never going to develop that. All right? So pray and get out of the way. Okay? You can coach, but you've got to let them work through those things. Um, pray for them while they're in grade school. How about this one? Pray for them when they are in middle school. Now, when I was a kid, we called it junior high. How many remember junior high? Now they call it middle school. I don't know what's... They call it middle school in this area? Is it still junior high? Middle school. Middle school, Miss Rose? Is that what they call it? Okay. Middle school. Middle school, junior high, same thing. Each time you see them studying for a test or doing their homework, or maybe you have a teenage son and his voice cracks, amen, take a few minutes and pray over your preteen, all right? Pray for their innocence to stay intact. Pray for them to maintain a tender heart toward the Lord. Pray for them to be honest and open with you about what's going on in their lives. Pray for them to develop solid communication skills with their peers and other adults. Pray for them to know how to handle injustices with both their peers and their authority figures. And don't forget this one, because we really lack this in today's culture. Pray for their work ethic to develop strongly. When they reach high school, pray for them. Each time you notice them taking another step toward adulthood, take time to pray for your child. Pray for their love and loyalty for God to grow stronger. Pray for their, both their mental and physical purity. Pray for their choice of friends to be those that will love God and encourage them to do so. Pray for their testimony to stay intact. Begin to pray for their future spouse to be pure and stay pure. Pray for wisdom as they make decisions that will be critical for the rest of their lives. Uh, kids turn 18, 17, 18 years old. They begin to make huge decisions that have ramifications on the rest of their life. Pray that God gives them wisdom and God gives them enough humility to lean on other authority and adults to help them make those decisions. Pray for them in their adult years. Some of you here have children that are out of the house. They're adults, and uh, maybe they're just entering adulthood or they're well into adulthood. Pray for your children each time you get a text or a call from them. Take time to pray for your child. Pray for them to be faithful to church. Pray for them to have their own strong relationship with God. If they're single, pray for their dating relationships. If they're married, pray for their marriage, that these relationships would honor the Lord in every way. Pray for their children if they have children. Listen, uh, pray for your children uh, when uh, they have lost their way. Pray for them when they are in a stage of rebellion from God. Pray for them when they are discouraged and failing. Uh, uh, Prayer moves the heart of God and prayer molds the heart of man. Uh, When we pray for our children, not only does it mold our hearts, but God can use your prayers to mold the heart of your child. Hannah prayed. Her struggle pushed her to her knees in desperation praying. We see the problem that crushed her, the prayer that changed her quickly. Number three, notice the prophet that came from her. The prophet that came from her. Um, Listen, because it was the mindset of Samuel's parents from his very birth, Samuel knew that he would grow up and serve the living God. Now, I'm going to encourage you to read 1 Samuel 1, 2, and 3 on your own. You know what you find is something really, really spectacular. You find something really spectacular. You find that Hannah dropped Samuel off uh, 
at the temple to be raised by Eli once he was weaned. Now, how old was he? And in our culture, a child's done being weaned somewhere probably between, I don't know, 24 and 36 months, 2 and 3 years old. I don't know the exact age. Uh, but uh, in Bible times, it would have been closer to the age of 4. They would have weaned him closer to the age of 4. So watch this now. Eli has two sons of his own that grow up and they're labeled sons of the devil. They're so wicked that Eli's own children are called sons of the devil. But Samuel, from 4 to 18, is raised by Eli, and he becomes Israel's greatest prophet. Well, why did Eli's own children turn out so awful and Samuel turn out so wonderful? Can I tell you why? Because Hannah instilled in Samuel the values and morals and principles at his most critical developmental years. From birth to four, she poured herself into him. In fact, the next year, when it was time to go up to the feast, Hannah says to her husband, let me stay here. Uh, Let me invest in this child. Uh, The journey will detract and distract from the most important thing of investing in our child. And Elkanah says back to his wife, you can stay as long it's for you to love on that child. As long as it's for you to teach that child the ways of the Lord. And we see that Samuel became a great, great man. Uh, in a very, at a very young age, he had a vocal conversation with God. Um, here's sort of a, a, a resume of Samuel's life. Uh, he became the last of the judges of Israel and the first of the prophets to rule and govern Israel. Um, uh, he was chosen by God to anoint Saul king of Israel, the first king. He was God's messenger to Saul, telling him the kingdom would be taken from Saul, from the lineage. And then he would anoint David to be the second king of Israel. He was sent back to earth as a ghost, if you will, to communicate with Saul. That's a bizarre story. You can read about that in 1 Samuel, the end of 1 Samuel. Um, notice with me in 1 Samuel 12, verse 3 and 4, as Samuel talks about his own integrity. Look at chapter 12. Turn over to chapter 12 and look at verse 3 and 4. We're almost done. Hang with me here. Look at verse 3. It says, Behold, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord, Samuel says, and before his anointed. Samuel asks, Whose ox have I taken? This, he's at the end of his life. Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind my eyes therewith? And I will restore it to you. Look at verse 4. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. What a testimony Samuel had. He got to the end of his life and he looked at the Israelites whom he had helped rule and he said, Name one time I ever did anything crooked or wrong your direction. And they said, Samuel, as far as we can tell, as far as we know, you have been integrous in, any, in every way. And I would just ask this question to you this morning. Who taught Samuel this integrity? Who taught Samuel his morals? Who taught Samuel his values? Who taught Samuel how to love God? Who taught Samuel how to fear God? His mother did. His mother did. Were there others that helped in this process? Of course there were. Boy, dad played a part. Men, you play a big factor in raising your kids. You be there. You be present. But uh, the reason Hannah stayed back from the temple while weaning her little toddler was to teach him how to behave 
and how to treat others. I uncovered this quote preparing the sermon. Uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton lived about a hundred years ago, and he wrote this. Listen closely. He said, Can anyone tell me two things more vital to the race than these? Who, what man shall marry what woman, and what shall be the first thing taught to their first child? Chesterton goes on to comment that the daily operations surrounded, uh, surrounded her with very young children who needed to be taught not, not so much anything, but they need to be taught everything. Babies need to be taught, uh, uh, babies need not to be taught a trade, but to be introduced to a world. To put the matter shortly, a woman is generally shut up in a house with a human being at the time when he asks all of the questions that there are and some that there aren't. Uh, Our race has thought it worthwhile to cast this burden on women in order to keep common sense in the world. But when uh, people begin to talk about this domestic duty as not merely difficult, but trivial and dreary, I simply give up the question. He he says, For I cannot with the utmost energy of imagination conceive what they mean. If drudgery only means dreadfully hard work, I admit the woman drudges in the home as a man might drudge at his work. But if it means that the hard work is more heavy because it is trifling, colorless, and of small import the soul, then I say, give it up. How can it be an important career to tell other people's children about mathematics, grammar, language, but yet a small career to tell one's own child about the universe? A woman's function is laborious, not because it is minute, he continues, but because it is gigantic. He says, I will pity Mrs. Jones for the hugeness of her task. I will never pity her for its smallness. Boy, a woman who takes the time to invest in those children when they're young. You have the most monumental task ever assigned in the world. A poem says this, I took a piece of plastic clay and idly fashioned it one day. And as my fingers pressed it still, it moved and yielded at my will. I came again when days were past. The form I gave it, still it bore. And as my fingers pressed it still... I could change that form no more. I took a piece of living clay and gently formed it day by day and molded with my power and art a young child's soft and yielding heart. I came again when days were gone. It was a man I looked upon. He still that early impress bore and I could change it nevermore. I'm going to end this point and this message with a very bold statement. Here's the statement. Listening, mothers rule the world. Mothers rule the world. Someone worded it this way, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Moms, don't ever let anybody ever devalue what you do in pouring your values and morals into those children. It is of the utmost importance. You love on them. You teach them. I commend Hannah on a job well done. I'm sure Penina was a good mother, but uh, because Hannah went through the trial and made the changes that God had in mind, she was able to set Samuel on a course that changed the fate of Israel and in some aspects the fate of the world. Hannah would have gotten bitter at God over her closed womb, then who knows how that would have altered history and the rest of our world. And I would say tonight, When your problems are crushing you, bow a knee 
and learn to pray. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed. Moms, I thank you for what you do. But maybe there's a mom here today. Maybe there's a person here today that just wants to say, I'm going through a hardship, a trial. And instead of bending a knee, I've been getting bitter at God. I've been tempted to be bitter at God instead of bending a knee in prayer. Listen, to the men here today, this is a Mother's Day sermon, but God sends trouble our way too to drive us to our knees in prayer. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lazarin, I've been going through some troubles and trials in my life and I need to bend a knee and give those burdens to God. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me that I would bend that knee and instead of trying to work things out on my own, I would bend that knee and I would speak to God in prayer with that trouble. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, pray for me that I'll be committed to my role of being a mother, that I will love my children, I will pray for my children. Pastor, pray for me that God will give me the courage to pray for my children day in and day out. Here's my hand. I want to make a renewed commitment to pray for my children day in and day out. Your mom here today, say, Pastor, pray for me and that God will help me to do that. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. Thank you for Hannah and her example how she loved those children, or loved her child. Lord, how Samuel grew up to reflect her values. And Lord, how, Lord, how you use those values through Samuel to accomplish so much. Lord, guide us today. May the invitation honor you in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.